Hey BucketCast listeners, it's Danny with a little reminder before the show begins. If you're looking for our review of The Hot Tub Time Machine, now in theaters, it was reviewed early on last week's show, so check that out. It's episode 4, and you can find that at bucketreviews.com on the web or on iTunes at BucketCast. So without further ado, here's this week's BucketCast. Hey everybody, it's the BucketCast, hosted by yours truly, BucketReviews.com film critic and podcaster, yes, podcaster, Danny Baldwin, sitting here with your co-host, Michael. Just try to train my dragon, Lester. Yes, I'm Michael, just try to train my dragon, Lester. How are we doing today, everyone? That sounded a little rehearsed. Are you ready to repeat it? Maybe? No. No? Not at all. No, not at all. Okay. Well, I'll just take that as I'm blindfolding you. And, you know, that's, of course, a reference to the new movie, How to Train Your Dragon, which we'll review on today's show. But the interesting thing about it is How to Train Your Dragon, of course, was in 3D in IMAX, Michael. And actually, I got the grosses here. 68% were from 3D and another 11.5% were from IMAX 3D, which is more than Alice in Wonderland. You did not see the movie in 3D. No, as always, I will continue my vow to never see anything in 3D anymore. Never? Not at all. Like, not planning on it. Because I told you, Jaws, Jaws three is like the only one I want to see in three D. <laughs> not even Piranha three D if it comes out in three D. Maybe. I don't know why Michael. I also, so I also have neither. I also have neither the Living Dead in three D, but you have that on DVD, right? The, like the, the phony glasses. Yes, yeah, the Sid Hag thing. Like, yeah, I have that. You know, I saw How to Train Your Dragon in three D because it was intended to be in three D. Of course, this couldn't be shot in three D, really, because it's an animated movie. But I thought it looked really good, and the flying sequences were really interesting. I mean, I totally get not seeing a movie that was converted. Clash of the Titans, you know, screw that, which is coming out next week. And that was just a rushed post-conversion job where they essentially for two months just convert the existing movie into a 3D movie. And and it's just a grab for your extra $4 of cash. But I can see when they want to shoot it. I mean, it's kind of interesting technology, and you got to give it room to run, don't you think? Oh, well, I, when I was watching the 2D version, I saw just like a lot of like good points where like, hey, this is a good place to use 3D, and yeah, I think it would have been a good time to see actually in the flying sequences for sure. But you know, the only thing that made me a bit skeptical is I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, well, what is our criteria for good 3D? And that's that it looks more and more like 2D, like it approaches 2D. I mean, like, I'm not noticing that this is 3D. That's kind of what I was saying to myself. So I get that counter argument. Although, you know, the scene where you have one of the character's boots dangling off the dragon in the air, that was pretty impressive. And I got to say, I'm willing to give it a chance, especially with these animated movies where it isn't so distracting like it is with, you know. I I don't know if I'm I'm ready to give it a chance, but if... It, like, if I can see a 2D movie and then, like, reconsider seeing yeah. it in 3D and that, that keeps I, happening, maybe I'll start seeing it in 3D. I, th- I think the reason it works with animation is because, you know, animation is naturally artificial and it doesn't take you out of it because when we see even Avatar, which is, like, the pioneer of, of modern 3D, it you know, we realize it doesn't look like normal life dimensions. It has that hologram effect. Well, I also think of the uh, the Toy Story trailer. Yeah. And how that, even you, when you watch it in 2D, yeah. it looks 3D. If they do stuff like that, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. But 
like the the, the post job stuff i really don't like yeah it's ridiculous so please people don't go see clash of the titans in 3d and absolutely don't go see this new harry potter in 3d you know the only thing that i do like about 3d is michael you and i are going to go see clash of the titans probably on thursday night in the opening or friday and nobody will be in the 2D, I have a feeling, because the 3D really grabs the crowds. When I was at Dragon last night, uh, I saw people buying 3D tickets, and 2D was pretty empty. So Yeah, I mean, it's a gift to those of us who do, like, traditional filmmaking. And as Ebert retweeted a user, you know what's immersive? Good movies, not just uh, 3D. So I do agree with you, although I think it works on Dragon. And speaking... Of how to train your dragon i'm sure everybody knows what how to train your dragon is about it's uh it's almost like hot tub time machine in that the title explains exactly what's in the movie it's about a young viking boy who uh, well not boy see i i always he's a, supposedly a young man but with the kind of nasally drone of jay baruchel i keep thinking this character's like four or five oh. <laughs> but i think he's supposed to be around our age like 20 or something like that. Mm, I thought maybe like a little bit younger, like mid-teens. Well, anyway, he's he's a young man, Viking, and he's expected by the hierarchy of Vikings who are, you know, his father played by Gerard Butler. Of course, this is an animated movie, so his mother's absent. uh, And his teacher and the blacksmith of the town, who's actually voiced really well, I think, by Craig Ferguson. Interesting. Okay, that was Craig Ferguson. Yeah, you know what's interesting, though, is with everybody else, I kept thinking... These are the people. Like, that's the only uh, uh, thing that didn't work for me. They use such distinct comedic actors as voices like Christopher Mintz Plus and Jonah Hill. I recognize the voices, but I didn't put it to any names until I saw the credits. Really? Because I was really distracted by that. That's the only part of the movie. Well, maybe it's because, like, like, you know, Christopher Mintz Plus was voicing this very, like, fat character. So I didn't, like,. Yeah, well, I thought it... I don't know that they worked, but Craig Ferguson really worked for me in that role. I think Craig Ferguson should do more voice work as it goes on. But at any rate, this character, whose name is Hiccup, uh, finds this dragon who's a nice dragon, who is named Toothless, aptly, uh, by Hiccup, because, well, actually, he does have big teeth, but it's insignificant. So they bond and he trains Toothless indeed and uh, finds out that dragons aren't so bad after all and has to convince the rest of the town who battles dragons and fights dragons for, you know, all their livelihood, I guess, that uh, it's all got to be peaceful in the end and it goes in a very predictable direction. But I like the movie. It's, It's the best reviewed movie of the year. You know, they have that on the commercials. And it is the best movie. I really liked it. I was I was a little bit flabbergasted how how much I did like it. I mean, yeah, it's predictable, but it's done very well. Yeah, it goes in conventional directions, but for the most part, and aside from some of these distracting, you know, the voice work isn't bad. It's just distinct. Um, and I thought that it was perfectly good. You know, the last twenty minutes kind of go everywhere you'd expect them to, but they have to. I mean. The big significant thing about this is this really cements, I think, that DreamWorks Animation, after Shrek and after Kung Fu Panda, and I didn't really like Monsters vs. Aliens, uh, did you? No. Yeah, so, but this really cements DreamWorks Animation as a major player, I think. Sure, this is more conventional than Pixar, but it's really good. I think that they've shown that they can, you know, they can play. Yes, and the 3D is, as I said handled really well i don't know that it's worth the extra four bucks five bucks a ticket it looks really good in 2d i mean i can't compare them but i 
I felt like the visuals looked amazing even without 3D. And you saw it on film too, so I'm sure if you saw it digitally in 2D, it would just be almost as good as the 3D. Probably. So, uh, yeah, I give it three out of four buckets, I'd say. I mean, I really liked it. I thought it rocked. I give it four. Four out of four? Yeah, yeah it was just like unprecedented for me, but I was like, whoa. Hey, this could come up on like Michael's best of the year list. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be wild. Well, we're a little ways away from that. But on a completely different note, uh, we have a movie that is not so cheery. Michael, how about that? Uh, so we also saw Greenberg this week, which uh, features Ben Stiller as a, a New Yorker moving out to Los Angeles to watch his brother's house while he goes to, what, Vietnam? Yes, Vietnam with his children, the typical, like, L.A. hippie yeah. hippie shtick. And as we find out, he's recently uh, released from a mental asylum, and he's trying to do nothing with his life, as he says. And yes. He has this um, budding romance with his brother's assistant, played by Greta Gerwig, and it goes on from there i don't really know what to say this movie when i left i was like i don't know if i like it or i hate it it's very noah baumbach did you see squid in the whale no i didn't go at the wedding i love squid in the whale which is jeff daniels and laura linney and kind of this marital distress picture i hated margo at the wedding which is like greenberg amplified in terms of apathy which is actually pretty hard but uh you know baumbach is i've had a love-hate relationship with him but i like this movie actually it kind of captures almost in a more detached version of everyday life but i think there's a lot to you know go into here i mean while these characters are played out for you know funnies i mean ben stiller is really living a lot of emotions that most people would keep inward that's the ironic thing about this character is he seems so detached but he takes these inward emotions and totally externalizes them uh, you know, yells at people, does things. I mean, in an opening scene with he and Greta Gerwig, he just starts going down on her right away. And it's <laughs> it's funny, but it's at the same time kind of disturbing. And uh, that blossoming romance or whatever it is, is uh, strangely, strangely organic, eerily organic, I think. I, I bought these characters. Did you think they were... I really didn't like it. I, no? I, was, I was having trouble getting into it and i mean i i might chalk that up to i felt the movie was pitched more as a comedy than a drama really and i was expecting more comedy then really and i actually left the movie thinking i really want to see rain over me again but why that that was more of a drama than yeah but that that's the the movie reminded me of rain over me but that seems really glossed over to me like rain over Mm -hmm. me while i liked it within the context of what it is this is going for something more rough and tumble more uh, you know, sardonic, just in observing the thing. I laughed a ton at this movie. Yeah. You didn't think it was funny? I mean, it had its moments. It's just, I, I was mean, expecting more. I thought the chemistry between Ben Stiller and his old friend was really good. I thought the Jennifer Jason Lee character, his ex-girlfriend, was really good. I, I really love this movie, actually. I thought it was, yeah, maybe doesn't find exactly what it's supposed to be, but that's kind of the point, is that... It's just kind of a melange of everyday life. And, you know, it's told through a totally unpredictable protagonist. And you know, that that being said, he's very subtle and, and very depressed. But I related to this character almost, I'm afraid to admit. But uh, <laughs> That's I, a little scary. <laughs> I don't know. So what's the problem? You, I mean, I, you didn't like the pace, I get it. You didn't think it was toned properly. but No. You, you didn't find it funny. Did you like these characters? Because I thought I thought it was Bombach who's 
often hard to get into because he, you know, crafts such horrible characters in one way, but you're supposed to kind of be sympathetic towards them enough to get into their story. I thought he balanced that really well there. I guess you were just... I just didn't... Yeah, I just didn't feel like I was getting into the characters that much. And like, the third act, I thought, which is a very, like, drug-addled thing, seemed appropriate and almost whimsical at the end, giving these characters real room to roam. And I love the ending. And what about Greta Gerwig? I mean, she's a mumblecore actress in Baghead and a lot of the Duplass brothers. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen anything she's done before. Did I you mean, like her, or was she too... I mean, a lot of I mean, people, I, I want to, you know, see more of her work, I think, you know... It's got that effect on me. So. I think mainstream audiences will see this movie and think she's horrible and not get it mm-hmm. because it's like almost uber natural. Yeah. I mean, we get into that feeling and that mode where she's almost trying to be ambivalent about everything to be natural. But I think the character really works. I've seen people like that, especially in L.A. where, you know, it's it's this big, uh, big, strong out thing and you have lonely people trying to find their way and i think that's kind of what this picture wants to be uh but it's more subdued than that and it's more aching than that and i think it's terrific well what are you gonna give it three and a half buckets out of four what do you get I'm, I'm giving it a two well i'm glad you're at least giving it the benefit of the doubt and being just mediocre in your opinion <laughs> and not going on. oh no i mean it, it wasn't like oh my god it's the worst movie ever but Bombach like is a really acquired taste in many ways. I mean, I hated Margot at the Wedding for sure. Well, I'll was... have to see you know Margot at the Wedding. And, I think uh, Squid in the Whale. Squid in the Whale is a masterpiece. And, you know, I mean, get a better idea of what Bombach's great uh, when he wants to be. He's, <laughs> he's a little bit of an asshole in person, and you know he's got an ego about him. I mean, did you see the whole Armand Dwight thing? You, no. You know who Armand Dwight is, of course, the contrarian critic who always upsets the thermometer. Oh. <laughs> uh, he, he goes against him, but uh, they banned him from a press screening of Greenberg because in a previous movie, Bombach did way back in the 90s, uh, he called uh, for bo- uh, uh, he said it would be a good thing uh, if his mother had uh, gone back and decided to abort him oh. because <laughs> it was so bad in Armand's opinion. But uh, wow. I, I think that's unjust, although sometimes his style does encourage that. I'm glad you didn't think that about Greenberg. I recommend it if you're a little bit more adventurous, if you can hang with this type of picture. I would never recommend the average movie goer to go out and see Greenberg because it's not a Ben Stiller movie but Ben Stiller god damn it he's terrific in this movie I mean I really think this is Ben Stiller's best performance in ages you know even though this is apples to oranges when it's Zoolander to Greenberg but I hope that the movie finds an audience and uh, clearly you're not in that but no but I'm, I'm willing to look at Bombach's other work. All right. Well, I'm glad, at least for that. You know, he did, he wrote, co-wrote Fantastic Mr. Fox and Life okay. Aquatic with Wes Anderson. Okay. And that big. He's a talented guy. A little bit of a jerk, like I said. But uh, I'm willing to forgive But it him. balances out the talent, so. Exactly. Uh, next up, we're going to be continuing our Corey Haim uh, retrospectives. This is our last one with Haim's probably his most famous work uh, yeah. the lost boys which is of course joel schumacher's vampire movie this is far more exposed than say lucas or license to drive the previous two movies we reviewed in this Corey mm-hmm. Haim series 
you know, Michael, this kind of... Remember how I was saying I'd really like to be a child of the 80s? You, uh, you constantly remind me of how you like to be a child say, of the 80s. I glamorize this. It would be a great time. Lost Boys kind of reminded me the downsides to that. <laughs> because here we have, like, lots of males wearing diamond earrings. That's a real turnoff. And... Uh, also, crime was at an all-time high in the, well, I guess the 70s was kind of the crime zone, but the 80s still were not pretty. So at least Lost Boys kind of gave me some perspective that the 80s were not all just the cheery, Glam. happy yeah. place for teenagers. But Corey Haim, sporting that, uh, you know, stud earring that like reeks of like washed up 80s star, uh, plays a young kid. I don't know how old is he. Like uh, I don't know, seventeen. Yeah, seventeen, something like that. Something like that. Uh, he and his family, which has an absent father, uh, talking. About, you know, these eighties movies always have the absent father as opposed to the absent mother, as we see in the animated movies. But they move to the fictional Northern California town of Santa Carla. Is that Santa it? Clara? I think no. Santa Clara is a real town. Santa, Santa Carla, Carla is yeah. this place. I don't know. And the town is kind of run by vampires uh but nobody really knows it exactly there's lots of wanted or not wanted ads but missing ads for various people who have just disappeared in this town and slowly but surely we find out that the vampires may be run but maybe not by well that's kind of a spoiler yeah <laughs> but but who can spoil lost boys by a character played by Kiefer sutherland <laughs> who's sporting bleach blonde hair and uh you know. Hey man, it's got Alex Winter, and I'm like, yeah, Alex Winter. <laughs> so there's this pact of vampires, and they take in Corian's older brother, and I, I don't know, basically ravage the town. But it's a lot more understated than that. And Corey Haim, along with two young employees of a comic store, which he meets, uh, who are very into catching these vampires and exposing them, go on the hunt after this pact because they've taken away his dear brother and i was surprised not the least of it i i gotta say i did not expect to like this movie period <laughs> because a it's overexposed and like all these 80s movies that people fondly look back on rarely are as good as they purport you know yeah. and also, it's directed by Joel Schumacher, <laughs> who is, by all accounts, one of the worst directors of all time. But hey, there are surprises every day. There's a I, fluke every now and again. I got into it, and I loved it. And also, one of the things that I love the most about this movie, which modern movies could go back to and take a look at. Modern directors should really realize this, is it's a vampire movie. It doesn't, though, have a lot of action. And even the final climax is just silly and doesn't take itself too seriously. And, you know, there are scenes in which a vampire gets dumped into a bath of water and, and dissolves. And it's, it's fun. Yeah, it, it downplays the action a lot, which, you know, we look at Blade and, and all these other movies. Which are movies that are, at heart, silly movies. And then... Take themselves seriously. Take themselves way too seriously think audiences like all this incoherent action i mean by all accounts transformers 2 should have been like the lost boys i don't know you know i mean optimus prime let's give it 20 years and we'll come back and yeah 
Oh, by the way, talking about 3D, good for Michael Bay for standing up and saying he didn't like these 3D camera tests. He thought it was unnatural and he won't, won't have his Transformers 3. Now, you know, the only way you could make Transformers 3 more incoherent would be to make it 3D. Well, I mean, come on. It's the third movie. It just, it just works. Transformers 3D. Yeah, well, we're having Alvin and the Chipmunks 3D to do that job. But uh, tr- I am. How, does, how do those movies make enough money to have two sequels? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's kind of fitting because Michael Bay and uh, Joel Schumacher are kind of cousins, both produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and have made a career out of ineptitude. But, you know, good for Michael Bay for standing up against 3D. That said, he could learn a few things from Joel Schumacher and the Lost Boys because I think it's. A good pop entertainment never takes itself too seriously, and if only Transformers didn't have a long, drawn-out finale and had something akin to the Lost Boys. I mean, I think it's I think it's fun. I mean, uh, yeah, there's nothing really hard about it. Ninety minutes. It's really simple to approach. Exactly. Um, Lots of good music too. Good '80s music. I mean, that's one of our requisites for '80s movies is they get the '80s soundtrack. Well, then you got like all the eight, you know, the, the whole '80s set of characters you know you got alex winter you got Kiefer sutherland you got the Corys. yeah i mean i would like to talk more about Corey Haim, given this is our Corey Haim yeah. retrospective but he just kind of is there this is not... it's not like lucas or something where it's very focused on him yeah lucas was actually a rather demanding performance of the kid and is by all means his best work i would still rank both license to drive and lucas ahead of this one in terms of entertainment value but as the most popular one of the bunch, it's pretty darn good. I gotta say, I I would wholly recommend. Now you've probably seen Lost Boys. I can't believe I hadn't seen Lost. Michael had seen Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's clearly one of the quintessential entertainments. It's not challenging, but it's good. So, uh, with that being said, next week on the show, what are we gonna be handling? Uh, definitely Clash of the Titans, right? Yeah, Clash of the Titans. Uh, you were talking about why did I get married? Well, here's the big deal. As you know, folks, uh, seeing movies is not uh, a, a really easy task for me, but I always love to go see Tyler Perry movies in black neighborhoods because they're actually, I don't think a lot of white people, you know, the general wasp crowd gets Tyler Perry at all, or Medea for that matter, but if you just sit in an auditorium with his target audience, you will understand Tyler Perry, at least for the 90 minutes that the movie goes on and hmm. what it's going for. So I'm hoping to take Michael to that. And then maybe if I'm like feeling like exuberant and really good, which is unlikely, for, this all could not be realized. But we may go to a midnight showing of the now infamously popular uh, movie. What's it called? The Room. Yes, The Room, which is... Directed by, I think his name is Tommy Wiseau, uh, who also stars. And there is a petition going out online, put out by e-online critic Luke Y. Thompson, to have Tommy Wiseau direct the fourth Twilight movie. (laughs) Which they're looking for a director. So... Uh, Are they trying to tank the series now? (laughs) As if they couldn't with Chris Weiss already. Uh, But I hope that, that that dream is realized, because... Who needs their other prospects like Gus Van Sant when you can have apparently the worst director or live director movie? So look for that. We'll see what happens. Definitely Clash of the Titans and some more stuff. And we're going to be skipping kind of our retrospective series, but we liked the whole Corey Haim thing, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to be doing kind of a three-part thing the last three weeks of the month. 
we're going to be reviewing uh, three movies from a given actor, director, producer, whatever. Michael will pick next month. And I, I think what we'll do is is you one person will pick the person and one person will pick the three movies. And that's how we'll okay. go uh, on and on. So, yeah, so I haven't picked my person yet. I'll, I'll try and make that decision by next week. We'll tease it next week. Yeah, and look forward to that. Look forward to All right. some good reviews next week. And folks, if you can, just rate us, subscribe us on iTunes. You know, I, I really have been monitoring the traffic online. Uh, so just go to iTunes now because I kind of have a head count on how many viewers or listeners of you are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just go to iTunes. It helps us move up in the rankings and grow the podcast. Uh, so with that being said, Michael, you want to tease out your uh, email address so they can send you some email? Yeah, I got an email this week. So. You did? Really? Yeah. yeah. You'll have to tell me about that. Um, anyway. No, no, no. Not online. No, no, no. Okay. no, no, no okay. All right. Uh, so email? you can reach me at michael at bucketreviews.com. I didn't get any email. Yeah, wow. Turn wow. Around. Yes. Well, I'm webmaster at bucketreviews.com and you can tweet me on Twitter at Bucket Reviews. So with that being said, I'm Danny Baldwin. I'm Michael Lester. And this has been the Bucket Cast. See you later. We're on the front line. I get handed down the news. We're on the front line. Well, I never begin to choose. Just we're on the front line.